This morning I speak on the subject, what you and I can do to save America. As most times, I have three points, and i got good news for you. This morning it's only going to take me about five minutes to make my three points. But I have to warn you, I have a rather lengthy introduction. So don't get excited that you're going to beat the Methodist to your restaurant this morning, because we're going to be here for a little while. Uh, and, and, and by the way, I'll, I'll tell you when I get to my three points. I know some of you will be looking at your watch before then, but don't worry. When I get there, it'll only take me five minutes to finish. The events of the week have proved again that we as a nation are moving away from God. In Psalm 33, verse 12, the Bible says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And the blessings that we have enjoyed as a nation, the blessings we enjoy today as a nation, have all been because God has been our Lord. But the more and more we turn away from him, the more and more we, as a nation, turn to sin, the more and more God is going to remove his hand of blessing off of us. If you go back and look at the formation of this nation, it was a nation founded by men who believed in God. The principles that this nation was built upon are principles from the Bible. When the founders of our country had a problem as to what to put in the Declaration of Independence or in the Constitution, they prayed, they had a prayer meeting, and they went to God and asked his guidance. And sometimes when we look at what's going on in our nation, we as Christians sit back complacently and we say there's nothing that we as an individual uh, can do. And this morning, I want to tell you and remind you, there are some things that you and I as individuals can do to save our nation. And by the way, I think it needs saving. I think as God looks at our nation this morning, there are things that he's displeased about. And I don't know how long it's been, but years ago, there was another Supreme Court decision. A decision that changed the course of our nation. The Roe versus Wade decision, where again, a small majority of people decided they were going to redefine when life began and said it was all right for us to kill unborn babies. And, 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 and by the way, as Christians, we don't get up in arms about that as much as we should. We're all up in arms about what happened on Friday. But I, I, I want to tell you this morning, we ought to be just as up in arms this morning about the innocent slaughter of little babies as we are about the Supreme Court defining what marriage is. I want to tell you something this morning. Abortion is still murder. And those doctors that take part in abortion are murderers and, is, and one day will be punished under the almighty hand of God. I'll remind you this morning, and I know I'm preaching to the choir when it comes to this subject, homosexuality is not an alternative lifestyle. It is a sin. People are not born that way. They decide to be that way when they turn away from God. It is not a sickness. It is a sin. And I could go on and on, and I'm not going to do that. That's not my point this morning. But as God looks at our nation, he sees things that displease him. 
I think the pornography that goes on in this nation displeases God. I think the witchcraft that goes on in this country displeases God. I think the devil worship that goes on in this country displeases God. I think when officials tell parents that their children are not theirs and that the state knows how to raise their kids more than they do, that displeases God. And yet I will point out to you, many times in history, one person has saved a nation. Now don't misunderstand, no one person ever ever does anything by themselves. There's always people there that are helping them in some way or another. But we've seen time after time where one person has made a difference, turned the tide, saved a nation. That was true when David took his slingshot and a stone and killed Goliath. There's a sign up in a, on a church when you come into Clio. For every Goliath, there is a stone. And I believe that. Well, David took his stone and killed Goliath. Changed the course of a nation. No longer did they cower from the Philistines, but went into battle and defeated the Philistines. Shamagar was a judge who took, took an ox gold, a pointed stick that they used to herd cattle and cows. And with that ox gold, killed six hundred Philistines and saved a nation. Esther, who I think was still a teenager when she became the, 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 the queen in that foreign land to that heathen king, she saved a nation. Yes, she had help from her uncle Mordecai. She had people praying for her. All the Jews were praying for her. But she stood alone, went before the king under penalty of death if he didn't recognize her and begged for her people and saved a nation. Jonah saved a city. That reluctant, that reluctant prophet, that reluctant preacher didn't want to go to Nineveh. He said, that's a wicked city, God. Why would you even love a city like that? And he ran from God, got swallowed by a big fish, by a whale, spent three days and three nights in a prayer meeting with God. <laughs> what a place to pray. The belly of a whale. I mean, God got him someplace where he didn't have nothing else he could do but pray. And that fish vomited out. He went running to Nineveh, a city of almost 10 million people, and led that city in a great revival and changed the course of not only that city, that, that nation. And you say, well, preacher, hey, I'm no David. I can't kill a giant with a sling. I'm no judge. I can't kill 600 of the enemy with an ox gold. I'm no queen. I can't march in before a king and save a nation. I'm not even Jonah. I'm not a preacher. I'm not an evangelist. I'm just an ordinary common Christian. You might say, I'm just a mother. What could I do? Well, let me tell you what one mother did. She was married to a man that didn't pay his debts and spent a lot of time in jail. But they had 19 children in between his jail visits and getting out. Number 17 was named John and number 19 was named Charles. And this mother decided that she was going to teach her children what was right. And so she set an hour aside every week and spent a solid hour with every one of her 19 children. It was Thursday nights that she spent an hour with John. She taught her little boy to be honest, to have character, to be a man. She taught him about Jesus Christ and how you had to put your faith in Jesus Christ in order to be right with God. 
She taught him about how to live the Christian life, that getting saved was just the first step. Then every person, he, as a Christian, needed to walk for God and with God. She taught him purity and decency. And that one little mother who thought maybe she couldn't do nothing by herself for God saved a whole nation because her John was John Wesley who became a preacher. Her Charles was Charles Wesley who wrote tons of hymns and they turned England back to God. Susan, Susanna Wesley did not know that she rocked the founder of the Methodist movement. You might say, I'm just a mother. You might say, I don't have a John Wesley, or I don't have a Charles Wesley living in my house. And I ask you this morning, how do you know? How do you know? You might say, well, I'm, no, I, 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 I'm not a David. I'm not, I, 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 I'm not a Jonah. I'm just a Sunday school teacher. What could I do? Let me tell you about one. Let me tell you about a Sunday school teacher that lived in Chicago that went to a shoe store one day to visit a wild boy who hadn't been to class in a few weeks. That boy's name was Dwight. And that teacher had a heart for Dwight. He knew that Dwight needed to meet Jesus. He knew that Dwight needed to be saved. And so he went to the shoe store. The story goes he walked up and down in front of it, getting his nerve up before he went in to talk to that young man. He went in. Talked to the owner of the store. He said, do you mind if I borrow Dwight for a couple minutes? Took him in the back room. And Mr. Kimball told Dwight L. Moody that he was a sinner and needed a savior. And Dwight L. Moody got down on his knees in the back of that shoe store and asked Jesus Christ to be a savior. And then Mr. Moody went out and started preaching. They called him Crazy Moody. Back in Chicago, uh, he'd take wagons, horses and wagons, and he would go around to the neighborhoods to where all the drunken parents hadn't got up yet on Sunday morning and bribe their kids to come to Sunday school. He'd give them candy. Say, hey, if you come to Sunday school, I'll give you a piece of candy. They got in his wagon and came to Sunday school, and he told them about Jesus Christ, and they got saved by the hundreds. Moody one time won a man to Christ named F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer won a man to Christ named Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became an evangelist and held tent meetings. And there was a young man that heard him preach one day who was a baseball player who got saved. Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday started holding revivals. He won a man to Christ named Mordecai to Ham. Mordecai to Ham became an evangelist. He won another young man to Christ named Billy Graham. I wonder how many people are in heaven this morning because of a, because of a Sunday school teacher who went to a shoe store one day and told a rebellious young man about the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't tell me that one person doesn't make a difference. One person can make a difference. Uh, you say, well, preacher, I, 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 I don't have any kids at home anymore. I, 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 I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I'm just a common layman. What can I do? Let me tell you one more story and I'll get to my points. A common layman who went to church one night. And at, at, at church, it was in the middle of the winter. It was in New York City. It had snowed and there was lots of snow on the ground. And there was a young man that got out on that Sunday, headed for another church, but he couldn't get there because the snow was so piled up. 
He passed this church where this layman was and said, I'm going to go to this church tonight. I can't get to the one I was going to. It had snowed so much, the preacher didn't even show up. And they came to this layman and they said, would you stand up and say a word for Jesus Christ? This layman who had not prepared, this layman who had no sermon to fall back on, this layman who had just come out that night to attend worship service, and there was only about 15 people there, he got up and he told how he got saved, how he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he pointed to that young man. And, and, and Spurgeon said it seemed like he was pointing right at me and everything he said was ha- headed right at me. And that night, Charles Spurgeon got saved. Because one layman made a difference in his life. I'm not saying that you may mother a child that can turn America back to God. But you might be. I'm not saying that you teach a Sunday school class where the wild boy in that that class will turn out to be a D.L. Moody. But you might be. I'm not saying that as a layman that one time you may have to fill this pulpit and step in for me because I can't get here. and There'll be another Spurgeon in the audience and he'll get saved and save America. But it could be. You might say those stories will never happen again. And maybe you're right. But there are some things that you and I can do to save our country. And we find them in this story that Adam read apart a moment ago. So here I am to my points. I got five minutes before it's noon. I'm going to see if I can cover them in five minutes. Number one, what we can do to save America, you as an individual, I as an individual, number one, we can pray. Amen. We can pray. James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The story we read was about Abraham praying for the city of Sodom. His nephew had moved into that city and God had came and said, I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to go look at it and if I see the sin that I've heard about, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy it. And Abraham got into the face of God and said, God, what if there's 50 righteous people in that city? Will you destroy? That's, it, that, that's, not, that's not like you to destroy a whole city and to destroy 50 righteous people. What if there's 50 righteous people there? And God said, okay, Abraham, I've heard your prayer. I, I, I see what you mean. If I find 50 righteous people there, I'll spare, spare the city. And I don't have time to take you all through all the math, but it got down to where Abraham said, God, what if there's only 10? What if there's only 10 righteous people in Sodom? Would you spare the city for 10 righteous people? And God said, okay, Abraham, if I find 10 righteous people, I'll save the city. Let me ask you. This morning, I don't mean to offend anybody. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, but I'm going to ask you a straight out question. You don't need to answer out loud, but I want you to answer in your heart. How much time do you spend spending praying for your country? How much time? And I'm talking about before what happened on Friday. I'm talking about Thursday, last Thursday, last Wednesday, last Tuesday. How much time have you spent praying for your country, for your nation? We used to have government leaders that prayed for God's guidance. We don't have many of them anymore. We used to have school teachers that opened each day in class with prayer, and they prayed for our country. That's illegal now. If, we're gonna, if our nation is going to be prayed for, you and I have to do it. You and I as Christians, you and I as individuals, we need to pray for our nation. Abraham wrestled with God. He stood in the gap 
for that wicked city, Solom. And for a while, it was saved as God went and counted up the number to find the righteous people in that city. In the book of Ezekiel, God says this, And I sought for a man among them that they should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. God said, I was just looking for one man that would stand in the gap for their nation so they wouldn't have to destroy it. He said, I found none. Therefore have I poured out my indignities upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. On our needs, you and I as individuals can stand in the gap for our nation. We can save our nation by praying for it. Number two, we can save our nation by living a righteous life. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, the Bible says, Ye are the salt of the earth. Jesus directed that statement in the Sermon on the Mount to Christians. He says, you are the preservative of this world. Yes, there is wickedness in the world. There was wickedness in the world in Jesus' day. And there's wickedness in the world in our day. When God looks, he sees all the sins that are going on in our country. But hopefully when he looks, he also sees a group of people called by his name that are living their life in a way that is pleasing to him. And he says, I won't destroy it. Because there's still salt in the land. Let me ask you, when's the devil going to have free reign? Some people think he already has free reign, but I want to tell you, the devil doesn't have free reign yet. He, he, he may be winning some battles, but he is still under the control of God. And as long as God's people are in this world, uh, he will not have free reign. Now, when God's people are taken out of this world, when we by are raptured away from this world, Satan's going to have full rule of this world, and all hell is going to break loose on earth because all the salt is gone. All the preservative will be gone. But until that day, you and I have a responsibility to live our life in a way that's pleasing to God in order to save our nation. Jesus said in that same passage, if the salt has lost its savor, if it's not doing the job that it was created to do, then it deserves to be cast underfoot and walked upon. What can you and I do as individuals to save our country? We can pray. We can live a righteous life. And then, number three, we can tell other people about Jesus Christ. We can tell other people about our Savior. We can tell them they're sinners. We can tell them there's a penalty for that sin. And that penalty is to be separated from God forever and ever. We can tell them there's nothing that they can do on their own to pay for their sin. But they don't have to because God's already paid the price. He paid the price on Calvary's cross when he sent his only begotten son and laid on him every one of our sins. And Jesus paid the price. I've often thought about the city of Sodom. I've often thought about how easy it should have been for Lot to win ten people to the Lord. I mean, remember, his uncle Abraham came and saved the city when it was carried away captive. I mean, Lot, had, because of that, had a prominent place in the city. He sat in the gate with the rulers of the city. He had the influence. He had the influence with the city's people. He could have told at least ten of them about God. And, and, and brought them to God. 
and, and, and had ten righteous people when God came looking. He had time. There was 20 years between the time that Abraham saved the city and when God destroyed it. He had 20 years in a position of influence. It should have been easy for him to bring 10 people to God. He had servants. He didn't have as many as Abraham, but when Abraham rescued the city, Abraham had 318. Lot surely had 50. Because he, he was blessed by God because he hung around his uncle. He probably had 50 people that worked for him. It should have been easy for him to bring 10 people to God so that when God came looking, he could find 10 righteous people. I'll go a step further. Most people think that Lot had five daughters, three married, two still at home, single. So you count his three daughters that were married, his three sons-in-law, his two daughters at home, and him and Mrs. Lot. What? There was ten people in his family. Ten people in his family. If he was a dad, he should have been. He should have been bringing all his kids and his sons-in-law to God. And when God came looking for ten righteous people, it should have been easy for God to find ten righteous people. He didn't. He didn't. He pulled Lot, his wife, his two single daughters out of the city. We know the story. His wife looked back. She turned to a pillar of salt. Three people out of that city of thousands. God came looking. God came looking. Instead of ten, he found three. God looks. He sees the sin that exists in this country. He says, I'll remove my blessings. I'll send destruction. I'll send judgment. But then God says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I see a group of people down there in Clio, Michigan. They're trying to live for me. When churches are closing their doors on Sunday night, they're still meeting on Sunday night. When churches are quitting having prayer meeting, they're still meeting on prayer meeting. When churches are singing the 7-Eleven songs, they still sing from the hymn book. When other churches are giving book reports and current, current, current events reports, they're still preaching the gospel of my son, Jesus Christ. I think I'll hold my hand back of judgment a little while. I think I'll hold my hand of judgment back a little while and give them a little bit more time to tell other men and women and boys and girls that they need a Savior and the only one that works is Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, if you're here this morning and you don't know him, you've heard about him all through the song service. You've heard about him in this message. The Holy Spirit is here this morning. The Holy Spirit is, is dealing with your soul this morning. If you're a sinner, you need a Savior. And the Holy Spirit is telling you that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by him. Please don't leave this place lost. Please don't leave this place apart from God. You could come to Jesus Christ this morning. You could confess your sins, ask him to save you, and he'll save you. He'll save you. He's done that for many of us already in this room this morning. He'll do it for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that it gives us in these dark days. It gives us hope because you're still God. You're still an omnipotent, all-powerful God that's still in charge. And God... You haven't taken your hand off of us yet. You're still calling men and women, boys and girls, to come to Jesus Christ. And I pray you'll do that this morning. If there's just one person here this morning that's never received Jesus, one person that's never prayed and asked him to be their Savior, I pray in, these closing, in the closing moments of this service that they would see their sin, they would see the penalty of that sin, they would see the price that Jesus paid. 
and they would come to him this morning. Ask him to save them. I pray every single person that's in that lost state would do that this morning. Make it so, Holy Spirit. Make it so. Speak to our hearts as Christians. Remind us of our responsibility to pray, to be the salt of the earth, to witness. Help us to do it. Help us to do it like the fate of our nation depends on it. Because it does. Because it does. Just bless this time of invitation. I ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.